This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, Welcome once again to Evidence for Faith. This is the show where we promote the benefits of the Christian lifestyle, where we give you the evidences that it's true and the arguments that it's true, and show you how Christianity is probably the greatest path forward to human flourishing uh, that there's ever been. Doing the best for individuals, communities, families, and resulted in a much better world because of the, the influence of Christianity. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis, and I just wanted to remind our listening audience, Keith, that um, uh, we can be checked out on our website, evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. In fact, if you have a question or if you want to participate in today's program, you can actually email us at evidenceforfaith.com. You can check out our, um, really a library, for the last two years of all of our taped shows yep. on either our website or Facebook um, or iTunes. You can download them and, and listen to them to you in your car if you're going on vacation. Whatever it is that you might want to do, if this is not a good time to be listening, you can always check it out on the website and uh, listen to us uh, at a later time. Absolutely. You can also call us at uh, 609-398-1020 if you want to participate in the discussion and be heard live. A couple of news items. Um, actually, this, is, this came across uh, the Internet. I picked it up off of Breakpoint, and it's not a news item, but it's a book review. And I just thought, since it coincides so closely to our show and the purpose of our show, I thought I'd... Uh, read some of the paragraphs here out of this uh, Breakpoint uh, bulletin. It's about the book, The Victory of Reason, How Christianity Led to Freedom, Capitalism, and Western Success. And this is by the author and historian Rodney Stark. He's written several books along these lines, giving the historical analysis of how Christianity impacted the world. So, this, I thought, was so important, I thought we'd go over some of it. He talks about how Christianity created Western civilization without Christianity's commitment to reason, progress, and moral equality. Today, the entire world would be about where non-European societies were in, say, 1800. So that's what things would be like without Christianity. This would be a world with many astrologers and alchemists, but no scientists, a world of despots, Lacking universities, banks, factories, eyeglasses, chimneys, and pianos. The modern world to which uh, we all aspire arose only in Christian societies, not in Islam, not in Asia, not in a secular society, because there haven't been any. Recently, 
they, this uh, review, this book review goes on to say, Chinese scholars were asked to look into what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West over all the world. After considering possible military, economic, political, and cultural explanations, they concluded that the answer lay in what the Chinese scholars saw as the heart of the West's preeminent culture, Christianity. These non-Christian and non-Western scholars had, quote, no doubt that the Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and the successful transition to democratic politics, close quote. So apparently many of their countrymen agree because whereas there were approximately two million Christians in China when Mao came to power in 1949, today there are upwards of 100 million. What's more, Christianity is especially popular among the best educated and most modern Chinese. And I remember reading a, an article about one of these scholars who was sent by the Chinese government to the United States to study Western civilization. And the book that he wrote, he's one of these guys who says that the preeminent uh, reason is because of Christianity. So um, people everywhere except ironically in the West see Christianity as, quote, intrinsic to becoming modern. For them, Christianity is an alternative to a way of life that bred misery and oppression. They understand Christianity's role in the rise of the West, even as Western elitists deny the connection. You know what I find fascinating, Keith, about this book review? It's so timely because it's going to dovetail very nicely in yes, what we're going to talk about today. That's right. And what we're going to do is talk about Christianity and the strangeness of Christianity and its claims. And this will be in, in contradistinction to Buddhism or right. Hinduism. Right. So we're going to get into all of that. Uh, but I just wanted to bring up one other newsworthy item before we get into uh, today's topic. About some Western elitists? Uh, actually, you know, yes, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And, it, and it also has to do with a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. This is the strange case of a 24-year-old uh, graduate student by the name of Jennifer Keaton, who is in the counseling program at Augusta State University down in Georgia. Uh, she was told um, in no uncertain terms that unless she changes her Christian ideals with respect to counseling transgender and homosexual individuals, that she would be dismissed from the program. Now, she's bringing a lawsuit against um, Augusta State University, uh, stating that it's going to be a violation, really, of her uh, freedom of speech, mm -hmm. um, and that she's actually being censored by her professors. Uh, the lawsuit um, is is expected to come forth in the next year, and it's going to be a very, very telling uh, conclusion to what we see happening, even going back to uh, um, the discussion that we had about expelled right. uh, on this program. Just showing the intolerance of the left and the uh, elitists. Correct. Who, yeah, Christianity taught the world tolerance as a virtue, yeah. and they claim to be tolerant, so they wanted to claim that virtue that they got from Christianity, but they wind up being intolerant and wind up kicking people out of their uh, programs who disagree with them. And that is the epitome of intolerance and bigotry. Exactly. And, and the Augusta State uh, official uh, word is that, uh, first of all, they don't want to uh, make a specific comment relative to the lawsuit, 
but they state that um, they do not discriminate on the basis of students' moral, religious, political, or personal views or beliefs. Except for her. Exactly. When, in fact, this is going to be a a test case, not only for their own university in the state of Georgia, but really for the United States. I find it uh, very interesting. Um, She um, um, states that in her discussions, not only in class, but also in written papers that she's had to submit to professors, she's brought up the the gay and lesbian lifestyle Mm. as not being a correct choice. She feels that it's a choice thing. And not something that they're um, they're born with or yeah, genetic. Yeah, genetic t- type of a predisposition. Um, y- you know what it is. Here, here's the, the the verbiage. I love this. Um, Keaton uh, stated that she believes sexual behavior is the result of accountable personal choice, rather than an Im- inevitability deriving from deterministic forces. Right. Interesting phraseology. I love that. But anyway, it's going to be a very, very interesting um, uh, time to see what happens in this case. Um, well, it, it, it is a scary time these days if you're a Christian in academia, because if, if you are in the bi- world of biology or the world of psychology, if you uh, mention your Christian beliefs, you will be expelled. Mm. Uh, so people need to be promoting uh true tolerance, true Christian tolerance and, and Christianity, and uh, uh, try to stem the tide because uh, things can get a lot worse if they don't get better soon. By the way, no time did she say she would not be, she would not engage ca- right. a counseling session with, with a transgender or a homosexual uh, client. Right. It's just that the university officials are fearful what might happen uh, behind closed doors. Um, uh, now, her defense says this, that no university has the right to force a citizen's to, citizen to change their beliefs on any topic. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the foundational uh, thrust of their, their defense. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, year when it comes to that court battle. Yep. yep. And uh, lastly, before we get into the topic today, I just wanted to go back to uh, a topic that a caller brought up a couple of weeks ago, because this all fits into the China thing, we're going to be looking at the difference between Buddhism and Christianity and China being one of the main places where Buddhism uh, is and how Christianity is uh, really advancing there. But also, this goes back to the idea of communism versus capitalism. And one of our callers, Mikey, were away, but one of our callers called to challenge us that communism had not been tried anywhere in the world. And we had mentioned about how the leftists had led to leftism idealism had led to the deaths of hundreds of millions of people in the 20th century the worst bloodbath in the history of humankind and uh, so this person challenged us that well capitalism hasn't actually been tried and uh, but I actually thought uh, of two times when it has when pure capitalism the idealistic form of no property and just share everything. Uh, oh, did I say capitalism? Communism has has been tried. Pure communism. And, and that was uh, the f- when the pilgrims came to the United States, they tried communism. They tried sharing everything together. There was no, you know, it was from each according to his abilities to each according to their needs. And 
it didn't work. After the first year, they were in such dire straits because they didn't produce anything. Everybody's sitting around waiting for somebody else to do the work uh, that they needed to change immediately and before they starved to death uh, and went to a capitalistic system. So, But the other one is the communism that Christopher Columbus found when he discovered the West Indies. And uh, he, they, in his logs, I happen to be reading the uh, voyages of Christopher Columbus, and in his logs he talks about the kind of government that they had and the kind of uh, economic system. And they had pure communism. There was no property, and everyone shared everything, including the women. Uh, and th what resulted is uh, absolute poverty. Uh, the men basically forced the women to do most of the work. Uh, the men would do things like fishing and, and a little bit of hunting, but all the, all the rest of the work, including farming, had to be done by the women. Uh, and they just shared uh, the results of that, and it left them for hundreds of years never progressing, but essentially at the Stone Age. So communism has been tried before, pure communism, and it results in nothing but Stone Age behavior. And let's not forget, 40 to 50 years ago, the hippie movement prompted the, the new commune movement mm -hmm. in the 60s and the 70s, and none of them are in existence at this point in time because of the same reason. Everybody was waiting around and working for the other person's toil and farm labor and work and not doing anything to contribute, and they were just basically mooching off of the system, yep. and they all fell apart. But guess what was a direct offshoot of that, Keith? The Jesus Freak Movement. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. Because they found real um, satisfaction mm -hmm. in, in knowing the risen Savior. Wonderful. Well, we hope that, that you out there will also find that same fa satisfaction. If you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. You can call and comment on the topic today by calling 609-398-1020 or email us at evidenceforfaith.com. Uh, let's see, you have to email us uh, at Keith Kendricks or kkendricks at evidenceforfaith.com. Well, let's talk about the strange difference between Christianity and other world religions. What is so strange about Christianity? I'm going to read for you one of the strangest sacred texts that's ever been written, probably in any world religion. Let's see. And you know what? We find it in our Bible. It is 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. So it says, But now if Christ, the Messiah is preached as raised from the dead, how is it that some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ is, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is devoid of truth, without effect, and fruitless. We are even discovering, we are even discovered to be misrepresenting God, for we testify of him that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, in case it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is a mere delusion, and you are still in your sins. And further, those who have died in Christ have perished. If we who are in Christ have hope only in this life, and that is all, then we are of all people most miserable. Wow. So the Apostle Paul has made this statement that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity is a false religion. So he is decided to hang Christianity by a thread, like Damocles' sword hanging by a thread. And if that thread breaks, Christianity is false religion. Well, you know, like my uh, professor of comparative religion Dr. Craig Hazen says, uh, if you're going to start a religion, this is not the way to start it. By saying that here's a testable thing, here is a historical event that occurred, and if this didn't occur, then Christianity is false. Well, you know what I find really interesting too, Keith, along those lines, since I'm a uh, physician and a uh, science uh, individual, if you look at Luke when he starts writing out his gospel, he starts out by writing, Most Excellent Theophilus, these are the things that I've investigated and found to be true. Yeah, so... He, he's done a scientific inquiry, investigation, eyewitness accounts, and all the other things that are still suitable in a court of law. Okay? All of the testable, objective truths that you need to make a case for the risen Savior. Right. Yeah, we need something more than just religious experience. Or subjective feelings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's not sufficient to demonstrate the truth of a religion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though you might have, uh, we're not saying that uh, religious experiences can't be real. Um, it's just that there has to be more to it than that, as Paul clearly laid out in this verse, 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve through 19. And one of the things we're going to do as this discussion unfolds is make the case that Christianity is testable and true. Right. It's objective, mm-hmm. okay, the facts can be found in historical documents, whereas other religions like Hinduism and Buddhism and Mormonism can't be tested as objectively true. They have religious experiences and they have feelings and right. and encounters. That's how you're supposed to test them. But they're not right. testable. Right. So uh, now one exception to that is Islam, which actually does claim to rest on objective fact. And so that's actually, you know, when I'm talking to my uh, Muslim friends, it's actually one thing that we have very much in common is that we can, we are both able to examine the facts. And so we can have a very open and uh, uh, discussion and try to determine who's got their facts right, in which, which of the two religions is correct. But you don't have that with other religions. Most uh, every other religion is totally about uh, subjective feelings. And you know what's really strange, too, Keith? Mm. Christianity may not even qualify as a religion right? because it's unique. And what, what's so unique about Christianity? Well, there's several things. Uh, it doesn't fit the mold that people often use to define a religion, okay? Right. It does have some family resemblances with other religions, okay? For instance, okay. there's ethics, there's doctrinal law, uh, there's... Um, all the other uh, things that happen on a, uh, a worship service, 
you know, with, with community and so forth. Right. And so you're saying it's similar. It's similar, right. But it doesn't qualify completely. Correct. And one of, one of the big things that makes it different uh, is that it's not a works-based religion. Mm-hmm. It's strictly grace. Right. And we're going to compare it to Buddhism, uh, you know, and uh, take a look and see what a person, a, a reasonable religious seeker ought to do. If they're considering all the religions that are out there, what should they do? Should they um, examine Christianity first? And that's that's uh, our point. And that's, it's no easy task either because it's a smorgasbord. I think there's over 300 religions worldwide. Mm-hmm. And so our point today is if you're going to check out religion and you're truly a seeker, Seek out the Christian thing first, and we're going to give you some of the reasons why. Right. If you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And uh, we're going to take a look at why a reasonable religious seeker, somebody who, you know, is truly interested and wants to compare, wants to take a look, what, why should they look at Christianity first? And this is a, a talk that was developed by my professor, uh, Dr. Craig Hazen, who's been a guest on this show. And he gives five different arguments, five reasons why it makes the most sense, if you're going to take a look at the world's religions, why you should start with Christianity instead of the other way around, instead of staying, start with Buddhism, and then if that doesn't work out, then take a look at Christianity. So there's... So there's five reasons. Well, as a man of science, right off the bat, Keith, I would tell you that number one in my own mind would be uh, that there has to be evidence. Mm-hmm. There has to be history. It has to be a testable thing. Uh, it's not it just can't just be experiential. It can't be that that feeling, that subjective feeling, because we all get those feelings now and again. I don't care what religion you have. So if it's testable, then you should check that one out first. Of if it's what? historically testable. If there's objective truth and fact behind it, then I think that that counts for a whole lot. So you should look at that first, because then you can rule it out. Correct. Right? And, if, and if it's not true and testable, move on. Go, go to the next uh, uh, table on the smorgasbord. Right. So, so that's one thing that makes Christianity strange in comparison to other religions, is that you can test it. In fact, uh, from that verse that we saw that uh, Paul mentions— the whole truth of it is hanging by uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you can even pinpoint and take a look at the evidences for the resurrection of, of Jesus as to whether Christianity is true or not. So, and, uh, you know, like you said, if, if, if it's wrong and, you know, you don't buy it, then you can move on to something else. So with Buddhism, Hinduism, though, uh, you know, one of the problems is how do you test them? Well, you spend your entire life uh, trying to reach this state of enlightenment. Or multiple cycles of multiple lives. Right. So you might not even get through it in a single lifetime. So if you're going to start with one of those religions, you know, you got a long time before you can figure out that you're, you know, you've been misled, you're, you're headed the wrong path. So it makes a total amount of sense to look at Christianity first and examine it historically. Does it... Is it true? You know, the, the second thing that I think is really powerful, Keith, is that all other religions 
on the planet are works oriented. Yes. You have to do, 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 but it may never get done. You're climbing up this ladder Mm -hmm. that, you know, and I, I think of this tenement in New York City, the fire escapes. You go from floor to floor to floor going up. You keep pulling down more and more ladders, but you never reach the top. Right. You know, because it just, it goes on for hundreds, hundreds of stories. Right. So it's a, it's a never-ending quest to reach the top of the mountain. And what's so strange about Christianity? Why is it different? It's free. It's called grace. It's a gift from God. It's, yeah. It's undeserved favor, unmerited favor. You know what I call it? God's amnesty program. Mm. You know? I like that. Here we are. We're stuck. We're like the illegal aliens in the United States. We don't want to go home. Uh, we come out of the closet. We get arrested. So we... Uh, so <laughs> Mike is making faces at me here. <laughs> so, um, so, but God is going to give us amnesty. He's going to declare us not guilty for nothing, for free, because it was already paid wait for. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the catch? There, there. What's the catch? The catch is Jesus already paid the price. Okay. So instead of do, 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 it's, it's done. done, done, exactly, done, it's exactly. Done. So, uh, so there. That means that if you're going to take a serious look at the religious world and at the different religions and what is would be the right fit for you, you know, check out the one where salvation is free. That you get it for free. Right? I mean, if you know of three restaurants that you got to go to, and one of them is free, wouldn't you want to check that one out first before you go to check out the ones that are expensive? Because maybe the food is great at the free one. I, 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 well, okay. Maybe free hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> but something, something's not right here. What, what, what's this? Cheap grace? What's cheap grace? It sounds so cheap. It's free. It does sound cheap, but it's not. It was very costly. It cost God his son, the life of his son. So there was a true guilt. There was true trespass against the just God, but there was also true payment for that penalty, and that was the life of Jesus Christ. And if you think you can add to that, you think you can somehow improve on that, you're sadly mistaken. It's The price has already been paid. Mm. So... Um, so go for the one where salvation is free. Um, if it doesn't seem to be true, you checked it out, it's not true, then go, okay, go ahead and pick one where you have to crawl ac- across uh, broken glass um, you know, to get to heaven. Third item. Third, well. third is that uh, with Christianity, another reason why you should consider Christianity first is in Christianity, you get to live a non-compartmentalized life. Okay? What does that mean? Well, in religions like Buddhism and Hinduism and others, you have to live a compartmentalized life. You have to have the life of the real world where rationality and logic are the rule of the of the day and where when you get to a crosswalk you have to look both ways before you cross the street because you might get killed uh, that truck is not an illusion it'll exactly. cream exactly okay and then you have your religious realm in where where you can claim things that violate the laws of logic so you can claim things like that all is an illusion or we are all one 
or I am just a dream of you, or you are just a dream of me, or we are all nothing but a dream of God. So all of these things that are irrational, but quote-unquote spiritual, those we keep in our religious compartment. And, we can, and when we go to temple or whatever, we, we experience those feelings. But the rest of the, of the time, we're working in the real world trying to earn a buck because we have to eat real food or we really die. But here's the good news. In the same concept now, you know, living the non-compartmentalized life, mm-hmm. we as Christians can bring our worldview into every facet of our life, whether it's the workplace or it's school. That's right. With, with your neighborhood, you know, the meetings in the neighborhood, the teams that you may work with or play on, all of those things. You can bring your own Christian ideals and, and, and ethics and morality uh, to these places. Right, because when you're in your Christian box, it is still a rational box. It is still follows the laws of logic. Um, so, so you live this holistic lifestyle, this whole lifestyle in the rational, in the logical, in what makes sense. And if there's some part of your Christian life that seems irrational, that's not true Christianity. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is totally rational and logical. So, so that's one of the great things about Christianity and another reason why we ought to consider Christianity first, so that you don't have to live this split lifestyle where you're irrational, you know, part one day of the week, um, and then rational and logical the rest of the week. Well, Keith, the, the fourth item that we need to talk about is a tough one, and it has to do with the world, mm-hmm. our individual worldviews, depending on whichever religion you're, you're springing from, Yes, and the problem with evil. Right. Now, Christians can deal with that in one way, Yet all the other religions have problems with that. Yeah, they, they have real difficulties dealing with the real world. How do they explain things like the Holocaust? You know, it just do- that the Holocaust was an illusion. Mm. Uh, you know, they have real difficulty in explaining these things, whereas the Christian worldview, the Christian philosophy of life, fits with what we really find. You know, in, in the real world, we really find people who are very, very good, who have these um, feelings of wanting to do good and wanting to help people. And yet, in that same person, even, there can be feelings of wanting to do evil and being tempted and, and wind up maybe even living a life of evil. So how is it that the same human being can have within them this great ability for true goodness and moral purity and yet have the same ability, the same potential for tremendous evil. And one of the, the um, tests of truth, let's say, of Christianity is that uh, people can look into their own hearts and say, yes, Christianity is right inside my heart is real evil because i know sometimes i've wanted to do some really evil evil things inside of me and so 
you know, there's this tremendous worldview fit. There's this tremendous fit with what the way Christianity describes the way things are and the way we experience them and that other religions don't have. And that's a, you know, really strange but interesting thing about Christianity. And this, this really is a, a biblical concept going back to the fall of man. Yes. Where God created us in his own image, and it was good. It was all good. But then evil entered the world. And I, I've said many times before that evil entered this world on a tree, and evil exited this world on a tree. Right. Because so Christ gift, took it away. The gift of salvation was provided by Christ on that tree at Calvary. Uh, and the serpent deceived Adam and Eve in the garden with and the, the fruit on the tree. Yep, and the world will ultimately be restored. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Christians can truly confront evil um, because they've got an ultimate solution to it. Unlike, and we'll get into, if we have time, which I think we will, we're going to get into some of the answers that other religions like Buddhism have about how they deal with evil. And that brings us to point number five as to why we should check out uh, Christianity as reasonable religious uh, seeker. Mm-hmm. And, and the bottom line is Jesus Christ himself, the person of Jesus Christ. You know, you know what I find fascinating, Keith? Mm-hmm. If you look at it, many of the world's um, preeminent religions, right. they all have a little bit of Christ in them. Yeah, they do. You know, whether it's, They want him to be part of them. Yeah, whether it's Islam and they refer to him as a prophet. That's right. Um, and even a greater prophet than Muhammad. I mean, in, in the Quran, uh, Jesus creates things out of nothing. Uh, he raises the dead. He heals people. Uh, many, many things that Jesus did that Muhammad does not do. So if you're looking for a prophet, even the Quran says that Jesus was the greatest prophet. And, and, you know, it's interesting relative to uh, Buddhism and Hinduism and the New Age movement. Mm. They all look at Jesus as the, quote, enlightened one, end right. quote. Right, Or an avatar yes. or something. You know, they, 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 they want to fit in Jesus into their religion and show how he really kind of goes along with them. You know, he really is theirs, um, you know, even in— um, Mormonism, um, Jesus had a, an, a came to the United States, right, in the Book of Mormon. So, you know, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. So, so if in all the world's religions uh, they want a little bit of Jesus, why not check out the religion that Jesus himself started, where Jesus is at the center? Why not check out that first and get the real Jesus to begin with? And Jesus, I think, said it best when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Right. He is the only way. Mm. So better to check out uh, the way that Jesus said was the only way, and rather than uh, spend your whole life uh, following down uh, an empty path that leads nowhere. So that, that's a, a, a quick outline on why check out Christianity first, but let's look at the intricacies and the complexities of being a Buddhist follower or, right. or a Hindu. All right. Yeah, and, and the reason we're doing this is because from a Christian's point of view, if you are already a Christian and you're looking at other worldviews, other religions, let's say, um, Buddhism is probably the furthest one away. 
Now, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And you can call us at 609-398-1020 if you'd like to question us, agree, or disagree with us about what we've said so far. So let's get into this very different religion from Christianity. What's so strange, what's so different about Buddhism? It actually predates Christianity by about uh, 500 years, about mm-hmm. 500 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, it began in India uh, because people basically became very, very disillusioned with uh, the Hindu concepts and beliefs and so forth of uh, of the caste system. Right, it was getting very complex. Right, there were more and more outcasts, so to speak, than there were people who were in the system. Right. And, and uh, it's interesting, too, because Hinduism itself, so Buddhism came out of Hinduism as a kind of a answer to some of the problems with Hinduism. But Hinduism itself, if you go back, uh, Hinduism was itself a revolt against the earlier religion, and this goes back about 4,000 years, to a time when uh, uh, the people of India believed in only one god, in a, it was a monotheistic religion, and they did animal sacrifices, just as every other early religion, the Romans and the Greeks, and, and every other uh, religion in the world did animal sacrifices to God. So the people of India did animal sacrifices, and there was this rebellion against what was seen as cruelty to animals. And so Hinduism developed and as was a vegetarian belief, and they didn't want to kill animals anymore. They didn't even want to eat them, you know. Um, and uh, so very interesting that Hinduism was this rejection of this earlier religion, a monotheistic uh, religion, and then Buddhism was a rejection of Hinduism. And part of the problems with the animal sacrifice was that this this concept of reincarnation was problematic inherently with that because there was this endless cycle of uh, births and deaths and rebirths mm. in the Hinduistic uh, society. Right. And, you know, you didn't know if that was your great-grandfather being sacrificed. Right. That, that's, that's a big problem. Yep. And, and you know what? The, actually, they still do. There are some sects uh, in India that still practice the animal sacrifices. Um, and I've spoken to uh, Hindus that don't know about this, but it's been uh, it's re- reported widely in the uh, news media. Uh, usually they use uh, monkeys and they behead them, and uh, that's an animal sacrifice. So, But not to get too, uh, uh, too much into Hinduism. Really, we want to talk about... Um, uh, Buddhism. So so there was really then a, a variety of uh, reasons why Buddhism uh, arose and became very popular. And it was actually a Hindu sect. There were many, many Hindu sects. Buddhism was probably the most preeminent that eventually evolved out of Hinduism. Right. Now, Buddhism can point to a specific founder. Unlike Hinduism, there isn't a specific founder. Um, but a lot of fanciful stories have uh, arisen about him, and I've read the birth of the Buddha, uh, and you know the stories are that you know he, when he was born he he uh, was able to walk and stand and talk and and that I, I believe it says that uh, all of the musical instruments in the entire world sounded at the same time at his birth. Mm. Now there's something that you can check out. There's an evidence that you can check out. Is there any historical record of musical instruments sounding out by themselves? And, in fact, there isn't. 
And we know that he had a name, the Buddha. Right. He was his first name was Siddhartha, mm-hmm. and last name was Gotama. Right. Okay. And he he was a prince. He um, was lived a very wealthy lifestyle, and uh, but he began to have confusion when he started to experience what was going really going on in the world around him. So there's this a legend of how he saw these four what are called passing signs, okay? And the first one was that he saw an old man. Uh, the second was that he saw a sick man suffering in pain. Third, he saw um, a funeral procession um, and was told that this is the way all life ends in death. And then fourth, he f- saw a tranquil monk who was begging for food. And so all of this gave him a kind of a religious crisis, and he decided that the monk was living life the correct way. So he decided that he ought to um, seek out uh, asceticism, which means that he, he ought to take a vow of poverty and live as poorly as he possibly could. And what happened during that little quest, he found nirvana during one of his meditations under a fig tree and this was well at first he found that he did not asceticism did not give him peace right then after he realized that that asceticism was wrong and wouldn't lead to peace then he began meditating and he found he found the um that he found enlightenment so he began he had five monks and he began to uh, teach them five disciples uh, and this is one of the basic teachings then of Buddhism is this middle way. So not the, the way of wealth and indulgence, but also not the way of asceticism and, you know, beating yourself on the back with whips or cutting your forehead or that kind of thing, but a middle way. So the middle path then was to avoid the two extremes of, of luxury and passion. Right. And the other extreme of asceticism or total impoverishment. Yep. So and then this, this led to him. Tell us about the four truths. The the four noble truths as as they became known, and this was part of Buddhist teaching, is that number one, suffering exists. We see it now. We saw it back then. So did Buddha. Uh, and that's not going to change. That's just part of the human condition. Uh, no matter what part of the globe you go to, you will see suffering. Uh, Number two, the cause of suffering, uh, in Buddha's own estimation, it was the craving desire for the pleasure of the senses. Mm. Now, I find that very interesting uh, insight, Keith. Yes. Suffering comes from craving. Yes. So if there's a burglary and somebody gets shot, it's because of the craving senses of the burglar who, who desires or craves something that's not his. Exactly. And then somebody gets shot in the um, in the uh, pursuit, whether it's right. the burglar or the policeman or the so, owner of whatever's being stolen. So you can see that there are actually some deep truths mm-hmm. in uh, Buddhism. And one of the things that we say on this show um, and that Christianity holds is that um, even though we disagree with other religions, we don't say that they contain no truth. We do say that there is truth uh, much truth in other religions, um, but they're not the total truth. So suffering exists. We know what the cause of suffering is. 
and that's craving desire for the pleasures of the senses. Mm -hmm. And number three, the way that you can end pain and suffering is by extinguishing those passions and desires. Right. Now, how do you do that? That's tough. You know, when you look at the human condition and the human heart, how do you extinguish human nature right. with the desires and the passions that, that we're all pre-programmed with? Very, well, very difficult. And that's the fourth noble truth. Mm -hmm. The fourth noble truth that is, is the way that you extinguish those passions and desires is by following the Eightfold Path. So we've oh, got... So I, I never finished the fourth. Now I'm going to eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, that is the fourth. You got eight okay. contained inside the four. All right. So the this one. this is the next ladder then. Yes. Okay. So what are the eight? What's the eightfold path? Well, number one, you have to have the right views. Okay. Okay. Your worldview has to be correct. All right. Meaning that you've got to believe in the four truths and the eightfold path. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you have the right views, you're on the right foot. That, Secondly, that leaves us with the left foot. Okay, oh. <laughs> uh, you have to have the right resolve. Okay, okay, you have to renounce the pleasures of the senses. Mm -hmm. You have to harbor no ill will, and you have to harm no living creature. Okay. Third is right speech. Do not lie or slander. So again, another very good thing, mm -hmm. very truthful thing. Uh, the fourth one would be the right behavior. That mm -hmm. is, perform no unlawful acts. Right. And you know what? Like I, destroying living things. Uh-huh. Or, you know, it's, it's uh, do unto others as they would have, have you do unto mm -hmm. them or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. So you can see why Buddhists many times would see Jesus as being one of them, mm. right? Because these are some of the things that Jesus actually taught. Yeah, the fifth one I find fascinating, Keith, in that you have to have the right occupation. That is, yes. earn your living such that no one is harmed mm -hmm. with with an emphasis on earn your living. Right. No, yeah. You have to work yeah, to, you be can't, able, right. to be able to keep yourself. You can't be a thief. Right. Yeah, and you, you can't, can't hurt anybody right. in doing it. So so highway robbery is definitely out. Good. So that was five. Six is right effort. Okay, right effort. Strive heroically against evil qualities and for the attainment and perfection of good ones. So, now again, this is really admirable. Strive against evil qualities inside you, right? Don't listen to those evil temptations. Try to attain good qualities. Mm. So, so you're always trying to better yourself. And uh, I can see why I had a I had a friend of mine at work. Uh, one day we were talking, and he decided to let me know that he was very interested in. Buddhism and wanted to be a Buddhist and you can see why it's so appealing so yeah I, I can see that mm -hmm. uh, number seven uh, on the um, the um, eightfold path is having the right contemplation that is the right mindset being observant alert free of desires free of sorrow and just being on an even keel and thinking straight thinking right mm -hmm. and again another good thing and eight is right meditation. Okay, right meditation, abandoning evil qualities, abandoning everything, joy and sorrow. And then you get another advancement here. Now you've got four degrees of meditation um, that are produced by concentration. So you've got four, and within the four is eight, and then you've got another four tacked onto the end. 
So you've got this very well laid out plan. Plan, yeah, path for advancement, and uh, a lot of good things in there. So, what are your basic impressions of this as a, as a religious movement, Keith? Um, well, it's you know obviously, like I say, there's definitely uh, truth in there, um, but you know, again, what does it? How does it compare? to the real world, you know? Um, how do we evaluate Buddhism? Well, you know what? I, I see it as a very, very rigorous plan, um, and it's tremendously burdensome to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddhism is really atheistic, and that's, right. that's part of the problem. Right. And uh, Yeah, how, how is that? Let's, uh, maybe we should—let's um, talk about the philosophy— of Buddhism a little bit, and so we can get in um, how it how it can be that Buddhism can be an atheistic uh, religion. That doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, Keith, when I when I look at this this eightfold uh, path, mm-hmm. I I think of the Ten Commandments, but minus the first four, mm-hmm. because there's there's no mention of God. Right. You know, in the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with your your vertical relationship with God, and the other six have to, have to do with your horizontal relationship with your, your friends, your family, your children, your neighbors, mm-hmm. your co-workers. Okay, but in Buddhism, I, I don't see any room for God in those. Right. And, and right. that's why it's atheistic. Yes, and, but also because the philosophy behind Buddhism is that, that reality is nothingness. Okay, it's substanceless. You know, uh, it's called... Uh, Nishvabhava. Nishvabhava means substancelessness. Okay, there isn't any real reality according to uh, Buddhism. So we are all an illusion. All right, and and the point of going through Buddhism is to recognize this, to get to that enlightened state in which you essentially would then poof out of existence. You know. You, you just disappear into nothingness from which you came. So um, so all that we are experiencing is called dharma, right, or illusion, okay? And so in, in this sense, it's a very um, uh, irrational uh, view. It's, it doesn't follow the logic, uh, Western logic. Um, and so you've got to live in this dual world where you— uh, you say that everything is an illusion, but yet you wind up having to eat the illusory fish so that you don't starve. So, um, so that's why, since everything is substanceless, um, that's why God doesn't exist, because God is substanceless, right? So there is no God. God, when you think of God, that's just an illusion too. Now, we have to say, of course, there are many different varieties of Buddhism. So in certain kinds of, um, you know, areas, um, geographical locations, you might find Buddhists who believe that there is a deity and might maybe um, put out food for the idol of Buddha um, to eat, this kind of thing. But uh, in the uh, real... Um, ideology of Buddhism, there isn't any God. It turns out to be atheistic. And it really is a works-oriented yes. uh, religion uh, with all of the things that they have to do um, to attain enlightenment. Right. Uh, which is their equivalent of our salvation. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, it's very similar to nihilism. 
you know, to the philosophy of nihilism, nothingness, you know, that nothing, you know, uh, nothing is real, nothing matters, logic doesn't work. Um, and, uh, you know, there, we've got, as Christians, we have real problems with that kind of worldview. So it's not, you know, it's not really a very happy religion. Um, you know, you don't run around typically singing really happy songs about, uh, you know, your future life with God uh, in Buddhism. And the other, the other thing I find interesting, Keith, is that uh, the truth of Buddhist teachings really rests solely on experience. Yes. And that's that, 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 that quest for nirvana. Right. And the meditation and the end, endless cycles. And there's a variety of different uh, types of meditation and, and, and yogis that are promoting their way. Right. Striving for experience all the time. Exactly. Right. So how do we as Christians then um, reach out to Buddhists that we may know? How do we reach them? If we tell them, if we give them our testimony, um, they believe that kind of all truth is truth. And so they're going to smile and nod their head and say, wow, that's great for you. Um, so we run into that difficulty of what do we say to a Buddhist? You have to hit them over the head somehow, Keith. How are you going to do that Well, to get their attention? We've got to um, what uh, Dr. Hazen calls grab them by the existential nape of the neck. You know, we've got to shake them up a little bit and get them to see that they are living a compartmentalized life. They're living in this kind of dream world of illusion, you know, according to their religion, but yet... When they go to cross the street, they look both ways. So one of the things that he says is to ask the person to get out their checkbook and write out the entire amount of their bank account to you because it's just illusion, right? It has no bearing. It's not a real thing. And the fact of the matter is they may not be here tomorrow anyway because they're just an illusion anyway. Exactly. So just write it all out. Write out a check and see to if Keith they will— Kendricks. Yeah, and that's to point out because what they're going are they going to do that? I'm not. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. So it just shows that they have to live in this dichotomy, this false dichotomy, this false split. Um, these two different worldviews, um, one of logic and rationality, and reality, and reality, and the other of the illusion. Um, the the so so Buddhism doesn't give them an answer for. Uh, the real things happening around them, but Christianity does. So if you are a seeker, seek out Christianity. It has done more for, to benefit the world than any other uh, religion. Join us again. You have been listening to Evidence for Faith. Join us again next week, Sundays at 4 p.m. And never forget that the best reason for becoming a Christian is because it's true.